have a seat. We survived the coldest temperatures of my life this week. That's huge, right? Yeah, we survived. That's what they said. Breaking all kinds of records in life, right? Pandemics and blizzards and all the fun stuff. Well, we just made a decision here at Bethel and that we're just going to make Valentine's just, we're going to continue celebrating. So we can do that, and we're still celebrating since so many of you weren't able to get out last week. So today, we're still... Still, there's a pictures opportunity with hearts that you can have a picture made with your loved ones or your friends, your family. And also, if you weren't able to grab your social distancing hugs and kisses, chocolate for the win, you can grab these on your way out. Go with chocolates, get your picture made, and obviously we can just show love all year, right? But we'll just celebrate one more week. So, so glad you guys are here. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you found us. Um, you're always such a blessing to us to see new faces, and we would love to connect with you, whether it's online or in person. And the best way to do that is to get your phone and go to, or you can wait till you get home, but if you can do it right now at mybethel.cc connect, it's right there. And if you go there, there's just a little form to fill out with a name and either an email address or a phone number that we could text or somewhere we could email. And if you don't want to do that, if that seems overwhelming to you, at our offering boxes at the back of the door and as you leave, there's a connection card. And you could just give us your name, email, if there's any questions or prayer requests you might have, and you can put that in the offering box. We would love to connect with you this week and see how we can better serve you. So I was thinking, um, when Ray told me what the title of today was, I was thinking about substitute teachers, and I've substituted a lot these last five years since we moved to Oklahoma. And I was curious, what, how do you feel? Is it like yay or boo, like when you were in school and you walked in the class and they're like, oh, sorry, Mrs. So-and-so's not here today, it's going to be a substitute. Was that, was that like party time? Unless you were really studious, then you're like, I really wanted to get my work done, right? And, and, but these times when I have substituted, I think they were more partiers. I'm like, they're like telling me, oh, no, Mrs. Roten, we are allowed to use our phones in class. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to do this. So, so, yeah, substitute. We are in our series called Alignment. And then we're in our mini-series within the series called Finding the Real Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about the substitute, that Jesus came as our substitute. So let's get started on that today. Morning, Bethel. How you guys doing? Good to see you this morning. Got the front section just crammed. So good. Right in the spit zone. Right up close. That's good. All right. Uh, those of you that are COVID sensitive, you're back. That's good. Used to be called the Back Road Baptist, but now it's, you know, COVID sensitivity. It's all good. So thanks for coming today. We are excited to have you. I was going to ask you a question. You guys, have you guys heard that jingle? This might be dating me a little bit, but hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. Anybody remember that? Burger King, have it your way. That's the, the old thing. If you're under 40, you're probably you know, like, don't know what that is. Uh, it's just basically customizing your meal, right? You can sub anything that you wanted to back in the day. That's what they were saying. And so you can have a special order. Now, when you go to a restaurant and you get your meal and then you want to sub something, you know, some restaurants are like, no substitutions. Others are like, oh yeah, you can sub anything you want. Um, I always, if I go to this one place, I get extra grits because I just want double grits, you know? So sub that for grits. Anybody sub their salad for fries or their fries for salad, right? Okay. Yeah. French fries, right? Yeah. Now a lot of people treat Jesus that way. They think Jesus is just going to be the sub for everything. And what we don't realize is that Jesus is our substitute, but there's no substitute for Jesus. He is a one and only. And so today we're going to jump into week 
three of our mini-series, Finding the Real Jesus. I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two. We started with Jesus is God. Second, we saw Jesus is man. This week, Jesus is substitute. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus is king. And these all kind of go in order based on Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. Paul is, has this little poetry that he was uh, teaching the church, and this little poetry section teaches just incredible things about who Jesus is and finding the real Jesus. 2021 is actually our year of alignment uh, here at Bethel. We are trying to align ourselves with who Scripture says God is, aligning ourselves with one another. We've actually asked everyone before you leave today and every week to make an appointment with someone. So make a coffee appointment or lunch appointment, dinner appointment, however you want to do it. Maybe just meet somewhere and chat. But we want you to meet with people because we want you to do four things uh, this week. A lot of people don't realize that the church cannot just happen on a Sunday morning. Like this, a lot of people say, oh, I went to church. I do church on Sunday for an hour. Really, church is you. you. When you leave the building, you take the church with you, and the church happens wherever we gather. Wherever we are gathered in Jesus' name, that's the church. And so we're asking you this week to make an appointment with someone, and there's four things we want you to do. We want you to know the, your Jesus story. So share your Jesus story and hear other people's Jesus story because once we realize and learn who Jesus is in the life of other people, it encourages us, and there's some people that don't know the real Jesus. And so these conversations are important for that. The second thing is we want everyone to know what matters because there's a lot of things right now, especially in our political climate and in our, in our world. There's a lot of things that really don't matter. Uh, there was people this last week that didn't have electricity, and they're like, man, that really does matter. There's people that didn't have access to food. That really matters. So we need to find out what really matters and where we can actually come into common ground. Well, what's interesting, Pastor Ruben did a a huddle this morning with our service team, and the truth is, the one of the only things that we all have in common is Jesus. We're so different. We have different backgrounds. We have different life experiences. We have different just just life. We, our lives are so different that Jesus, many times, is the only thing we have in common. And so we want you to know the Jesus story. We want you to find out where our common ground is, and then we want you to know other people and love them anyway. So once you know someone and you know what makes them tick and you know what kind of flaws they have, guess what? Everybody has flaws. There's no one that's perfect. And once you realize who someone is and you love them anyway, that's the third thing we want you to do. And then the last thing is we want you to know your role in the church, in the body. And to do that, we need to gather outside of a Sunday morning because Sunday morning just isn't enough. Our vision here at Bethel is to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. It's, it's that simple. There's nothing else. There's nothing spectacular. It's just find Jesus and follow Jesus and love and lead one another along the way. And so doing these four things and actually coming together, we can do that. We can't actually love and lead someone unless we know them. And so we want to encourage you this week to make an appointment. You're making a difference in people's lives. Keep it going. Um, these last three weeks, four weeks that we've been doing this have been incredible. And I know the snow and ice kind of stopped us a little bit. But this week, let's pick it back up and let's continue again to find the real Jesus along with one another. Now, here's, here's the thing about this little mini-series is that most of us here in the United States or just people in general, we have a tendency to create a Jesus that we want to follow. And so scripture's clear about who Jesus is, and what we end up doing as humans is like, well, I just like this, and oh, I don't like that part, so I'm going to leave that off, and I would like this and this Jesus, but not this other Jesus. And so we create our own Jesus, and then we worship him. 
And what we're trying to do is we're trying to strip all that down and say, okay, who is Jesus really? What does Scripture say? Who has Scripture identified Jesus as? And then let's mold ourselves to his image, not mold him to ours, to our liking. And so you have to ask yourself, are you following a fake Jesus of your imagination? Or are you following the real Jesus revealed in Scripture? And are you willing to confront some of the very things that you've trusted in alongside scripture are you willing to confront those things in your life and adjust your thinking to what scripture says jesus is this will take some effort because our culture has taught us you can have it your way that's what our culture has taught us you do you boo the worst advice ever that's what our culture says and what we have to realize is that scripture's clear and we need to adjust to scripture not scripture to adjust to our liking and so here's some false things that people say about jesus they say he's a cosmic genie I can just like rub the bottle, rub the Bible. Oh, Jesus, you got to do this and you have to do this and name it and claim it. That's wrong. We have to actually adjust to what Scripture does because it's pretty hard. Scripture's got some difficult things in it for us to align ourselves under. A lot of people think that Jesus is a social justice warrior. You know, Jesus didn't come to overthrow um, the injustice of the Roman Empire. He didn't come to overthrow the injustice or the, or the hunger or the anything in society of the day. He actually came to establish his kingdom in our hearts. And so he's not a social justice warrior. He's not a political tool. He is not safe. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not irrelevant. Jesus is not just another God among gods. Jesus is not just another teacher. Jesus is not just another way to God. Scripture is very clear, says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father God except through Jesus. And so draw, Paul draws our attention to who we should be serving and who we should be getting our approval from, and this is the real Jesus. So we started with God. God, Jesus is God, means that he's all-powerful. He's the creator. Everything was created through him and by him. So we started that with week one. Week two is he's fully man. So he put aside his godness, if you will. He put aside his deity, and he became a man. And so a lot of people think, oh, he resisted temptation because he was God. No, he actually was fully man. He left the godness behind. He left deity behind and walked as you and I walk. Why is this important? so that we can identify with him. He understands our weakness. He understands our struggles. He understands what we're going through. He understands loss and sickness and death and grieving and mourning. He understands all that, and so he is fully man. Now, something happened, and this is what we're going to talk about this week, is that he, being God, becoming man, he actually became our substitute. He took our place. Now, a substitute teacher could be a lot of fun, and actually what we want to do today is we want you to understand who Jesus is as your substitute when he died a criminal's death on the cross. We're going to read Philippians 2.8, and then we're going to jump in uh, to the rest of the sermon after we pray. Let's read Philippians 2.8. It says, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Let's pray. God, this morning as we dig into scripture as we look from the beginning to the end and we see who you really are god i pray that this morning you would draw all people to yourself in john chapter 3 it says that even as the son of man is lifted up all people all men and women will be drawn to you i pray that this morning you would be lifted up and god we would be drawn to you and for what you did on the cross in your burial and resurrection two thousand years ago Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So I want to start this morning by looking at the last word in this, this passage in this scripture. It says, a criminal's death on a cross. The cross. The cross is actually a barbaric death tool reserved for Rome's worst criminals. You've got to understand the gravity and the, the terrifying nature of the actual cross of 2,000 years ago. Specifically in the Roman Empire, the Romans actually thought of cruel ways to dominate the, the region around them. And actually, it was the only empire around the world at the time, and it dominated everything. And what they would do for criminals or people that would rise up against Rome is they would actually nail them to two pieces of wood, a tree, and hang them for all to see as they were being tortured. And so they would torture them, and then they would hang them on a cross, and then they'd put them on the main road so that everybody that walked by would see this criminal hanging on on the cross just in case you thought you were going to rise up against the Roman Empire. Now, why is the cross today, 2,000 years later, an object of worship for many people? The actual cross, we have one on the back of our stage here, the actual cross, a lot of people look at the cross and they say, oh, it's that cross that did it. There's songs that sing about the cross. That would be the same as us today taking a lethal injection and saying we're going to worship this lethal injection or a noose. That is the exact same thing as this cross. The cross was an object of torture, an object of death. And so as Christians, we actually in the third century were made fun of because we were the ones that were worshiping the gibbet or worshiping the gallows. And so if you think about it, just, just put it in your mind, the cross itself, the object, the wood there that Jesus hung on is not the object of our worship. The reason that the cross is important and the reason that crossroads in humanity is important is because of who hung on the cross. It's the very person of Jesus that actually hung on the cross. It's not that we, followers of Jesus, elevate a symbol. Many of us do. I live in a country, lived in a country for many years where most people carried a cross around their neck, and you may as well, as a reminder of who died and gave his life on that cross for humanity. But we don't just elevate the cross as a death symbol. We actually elevate that moment that Jesus took our sin upon himself on that cross, that moment on the cross. Our elevation to the cross has to do exclusively with the person, Jesus, on the cross. Because there was thousands of people that were killed, criminals, on the cross. And Paul says that he died a criminal's death on the cross. And we'll get into that, why that matters. Uh, this, is nothing, this has nothing to do with the barbaric nature of the cross or the brutal killing of criminals of Rome. Jesus was innocent, and he did not earn the punishment of the cross, and yet God chose this time in history for him to come and die a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus actually freely went to the cross for God's purpose. Jesus freely went to the cross for God's plan. Jesus freely went to the cross in my place. And I want us to understand this morning that I deserve that criminal's death on that cross. And this may offend you, and this is the offense of the gospel, is that the good news of Jesus is that he took my place and died for me on that cross. So why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross. Well, the law actually demanded this, and so I'm going to go through a lot of information really quickly, and if you're kind of a Bible nerd like I am, you'll like this. If you're not, you're going to be like, ah. just bear with me because this is important because Jesus died on the cross in our place, and it matters because from the beginning, God had this foreordained. He had this plan to redeem humanity. So we're going to go through a lot of scripture pretty quickly, and I want to encourage you. Actually, my point of this time is for you to actually be interested and dig in more, okay? Because for 20 minutes, this is not enough for you to understand the entirety of the cross. 
But this will give you kind of an introduction, kind of an appetizer, if you will. So the Jewish people actually followed the sacrificial religious laws established by God on Mount Sinai. This is an Exodus. If you go into the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, uh, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this is called the law. And the books of the law establish the very thing, the law. Okay, And so these uh, Israelite people, the Jewish people, were chosen by God, and they had to carry out a sacrificial religious system. They established this over uh, many times in order for an animal to be sacrificed as bloodshed for sins that were committed daily, weekly, monthly, seasonally, annually. And so there was this bloody religion. A lot of people actually uh, from the surrounding um, nations called this the bloody religion, offering sacrifices to God. In Genesis chapter 3, the very first entity or the very first person to actually sacrifice an animal was God himself. He took an animal in Genesis 3.21, and he slew the animal, and he took the skin, and he made covering for Adam and Eve after they chose to walk away from God. And so God was the very first one to kill an animal and shed blood and cover the Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. Then if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 12, God, right before he rescued the Israelites from Egypt, they were slaves. Right before he rescued them, he established another substitute or a covering called the Passover. This is where they were supposed to take a lamb that was perfect without blemish. They were supposed to kill and prepare a meal, save the blood, put it over the doorpost of the house. And so at the entrance of the house, the doorpost, put the blood up top, blood on the sides. And this was so the angel of death would pass over the house. And those inside were covered and, and saved by the blood. Okay, this was established, and this is a practice that continues all the way to today in the, in the Jewish and the Israelite customs. For thousands of years, Israelites have been offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. They were waiting for the day that God would send a Messiah to save people from their sins. And so these sacrifices were temporary. They only lasted for a short amount of time. And so every year they'd have to sacrifice animals to cover the sins for the year. Well, then you think about John chapter 1. John, many people call him John the Baptist or John the Immerser. John the Immerser actually said this one day. He was out there baptizing people, and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The reason he said that is he pointed to Jesus, a man, as the Lamb, the one that would ultimately die and take away the sins of the world. So how did Jesus become the substitute? How did Jesus fulfill the law, which was a requirement for forgiveness of sin, a, a, an atonement, a, a death, an animal sacrifice, how did Jesus become this substitute in our place? So recapping our series, Jesus is God, he's the creator, he is fully powerful, he's almighty, he put that aside, came as man, and he became fully man, he laid aside his deity, and then he stepped into being a substitute. If he was perfect and he never sinned, how is this possible? Jesus actually became the sinless transgressor. He became the sinless transgressor. What is a transgressor? A transgressor is anybody that breaks a law, okay? So if you're driving down the road and you go one mile over the speed limit, you're like, oh, that's no big deal. The cops aren't going to pull me over if I go five to seven over. I'm good. But actually, you've broken the law. You've transgressed the law, right? Let's say you're taking a test at school and you're like, mm, look over to my neighbor. Oh, yeah, that's just one, just one. You've transgressed. You've broken the rules, right? Let's say you're at the store. I was at TGNY as a little kid. I dated myself again. And so you go into the store, and I'm like, oh, I really want that purple bubble gum, whoop, in my pocket. Transgressor, okay? So 
Jesus actually became the sinless transgressor. He transgressed the law. He broke the law, even though he was not full of sin. We're going to see why. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For God made Christ, this is Jesus, who never sinned to be made the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So he took Jesus' perfection and he made him sin. How? How, how did this happen? How could a sinless being take upon himself our sin? God could not have justly transferred my sin to Jesus without a cause. Somehow Jesus had to become a transgressor of the law in order to take upon himself the wrath of humanity. Now, if I'm losing you here, just stick with me because you have to understand that Jesus, fully God, could not have taken our sins unless he transgressed the law. We're going to see where he did. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, But Christ, Jesus, has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Okay? When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing, for it is written in scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So the curse pronounced by the law, this is the idea of separation, the idea of death or rejection or the wrath of God, okay? So this is the curse, is the wrath of God. That's what you deserve and that's what I deserve is the wrath of God for being transgressors. God actually placed in the Old Testament this small technicality so that the curse could be placed on Jesus for the redemption of mankind. He knew that his son would be cursed by him when he was hung on the cross. Look at Deuteronomy. Again, this is the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. It says, If someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day, for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. Let that sit on you for a second. Anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. And so Jesus, okay, think about this, in all of history, how would God be cursed other than 2,000 years ago when the Roman Empire was established and they had crucifixion as a, moment of, as, a, as a way of killing someone, hung on a tree, hung on a cross. Jesus actually came at this specific time in history in order to be hung and become the sinless transgressor. So here's the, here's the fact to consider. God does not count transgression the same way that you do and the same way that I do. Man, according to God, is condemned already. He says that man steals because he's a thief. He says that he kills because he's a murderer. It's in our nature. For this reason, God does not recognize degrees of sin. I may say, oh, a little white lie, but for God, it's the same. It's the same as the worst thing you can think of. We as humans put them into categories. And yet God looks at imperfection, a transgression, the same. Look at James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is, guilt, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So whether you have a small infraction or a large infraction, you're guilty of it all. So we don't have to commit all sins to be guilty of them. We don't have to commit every sin that's there to be guilty of that sin because our nature is a nature that has fallen and we have actually committed all of them, even if we've only committed one. So it doesn't matter at which points of the law you have transgressed. In the eyes of God, you're guilty, and it's already been established. So why is it then that we treat people in degrees of guilt? So we have this thing in Christianity a lot of times. People that are supposedly Christians have this way about judging people. And we categorize like, 
ooh, I can't hang out with them because, man, they're just way over there on the spectrum of sin, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to be committing that same sin they are. Instead of understanding that all of us are in the same boat, all of us are on the same level as far as God sees, and it doesn't matter if you're over here in your mind or right here in your mind, all of us are guilty and all of us are in the same boat. The only thing that you and I can do is be an influence on people. That's it. And if you're not around someone, you can't be an influence on that person. Jesus actually was a violator of the technicality of the law. So Jesus didn't deserve it, yet he was hung on a tree. And because he was hung on a tree, God was able to pour all the wrath of humanity on him for being hung on a tree because cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. So this is the moment that had to happen in God's foreknowledge and foresight to put all of the sin of humanity upon Jesus. Until we understand that the death of Jesus was at the hand of the Father, until we understand that the Father chose when and how that his own son would be crushed, we'll never understand salvation and how God has saved mankind. Until you understand that God took Jesus perfect and made him a transgressor and crushed him with our sin, We'll never understand what he did. He took my place. Jesus took what was mine, and he received the pain of death and the weight of my sin. What was justly mine, Jesus took. He took my sin and redeemed me. He took my place. He became my substitute. All the way back, hundreds of years before the crucifixion, we see God's plan for Jesus to take our place. In Isaiah chapter 53, the entire passage is amazing. I encourage you to read it, read it, but verse 10 is where I want us to look at it. It says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Now the NLT in the English language does not does a kind of an imperfect translation, but the Lord's good plan actually in God's foresight, looking, at, looking ahead, it was the only way that Jesus could be our substitute was this way on the cross. It says, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. In that moment, the moment on the cross when Jesus had his arms spread on the cross, the payment of the debt of my sin and your sin was completely and totally canceled. It was completely and totally paid for. It was satisfied. It was justified right there at that moment on the cross. There is no more payments that need to be made. The unjust are actually declared just because of the sacrifice of Jesus in that moment. So here's what happened to us in Romans 8.1. It says, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. None. No condemnation. That doesn't, this does not mean no guilt. It means no eternal consequence or cursing because of our guilt. So because of our infraction, there is no condemnation eternally because of what Jesus did on the cross. John chapter 3, my favorite passage in all of scripture, John chapter 3 verse 17 and 18, it says this, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to judge. Jesus didn't come to point fingers. Jesus came to draw all people to himself for salvation. Verse 18 says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe has already been judged, not because of Jesus, but because of the law that they broke, not because of Jesus. Jesus is the great saver. He's the one that draws men and saves them. He's the great savior. Jesus is the great substitute, and there's no one else like him. And so when we look at this passage, we think about Jesus becoming the sinless transgressor, going on the cross, that moment of cursing that he took all our sins upon himself. This is the part that's the most amazing to me is that Jesus humbled himself. 
Jesus, being fully God, actually stepped in and humbled himself to have all of the suffering. Verse 8, it says he humbled himself in obedience to God. This is the exact opposite of what the enemy Satan does. Jesus humbled himself so that the entire world and universe would understand that in order for God to acknowledge, we have to get low. So the whole universe would see that Satan is an imposter. He's a simple actor. He's a poser that elevates himself instead of humbling himself. So when we align ourselves with Jesus, humility has to be involved. Humility is the act of getting low. Humility is the act of actually making ourselves less because God is greater. This is not to virtue signal. This is not to get my own way. It's actually submitting myself to who Jesus says he is. It's what he says about himself and what he did on the cross. It's making myself low to the finished work of Jesus that he, um, that he accomplished on the cross. It's the redemption that is offered by the Father. It's acknowledging that I need Jesus as a guilty sinner. It's acknowledging my transgressions and the one who took them upon himself. It's acknowledging that I'm insufficient to be able to save myself. It's acknowledging my total dependence on Christ for salvation and the shaping of my life. It's acknowledging that outside of Jesus, there's nothing I can do to save myself and there are no other payments possible. When I want to pay more, when I want to do more to appease God or to, to receive his righteousness, what I am doing is I don't understand the value of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. I actually spit in the face of God when I want to do something else that he has already done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus became a transgressor and he took my place. There is no more to be paid. Jesus actually, with his arms stretched out, the very last thing he said was, it is finished. Well, what is finished? The redemption of mankind. There's nothing else to pay. Jesus paid it all. There's no more payment that I can give to God or there's no more wrath that God is going to pour out upon humanity. He actually poured it all out on his son and I could no longer expect God to take payment for me because then God would not be just. There's no more that can be done. Jesus, if Jesus is not enough, then he would not be our substitute. So humility is calling me to Jesus and recognizing that he is the substitute. So now what? Now what? Jesus died on the cross. Jesus transgressed the law. He took all of my sin upon himself. Now, now what do I do with that information? If Jesus is the only substitute accepted by God, then why am I trying so hard to please God for eternal security? Why not just submit to him in humility and trust him that he already finished the way? Because Jesus is the way, he's the truth and the life. It's, scripture says that I need to repent of me trying to make my own way and submit to Jesus, the one who paid the way. Scripture says that apart from Jesus, I have no hope. That apart from Jesus, I have no life. That apart from Jesus, that I'm spiritually disconnected from the Father. And so I have to take inventory of my life, and I have to ask myself, where am I putting my hope? Where am I putting my trust? Am I trusting in something else? Am I waiting for the church to have some kind of mystical, magical answer that's going to give me abundant life? Or if I put my faith and trust in that moment that Jesus said it is finished and he died on the cross? And then three days later, Scripture says he bursts from the grave because he is God, fully God. So why not come to Jesus today? You know, he's calling you and he's asking you to come in and realize that he took your place. He settled your debt. He wants you to join his family because he is the only way. 
Now here at Bethel, we don't have altar calls. We don't ask you to step up and step out because this is something that we want you to understand it is fully in God's hands. It's nothing that you can do. You can't do anything to accept Jesus' righteousness other than say, oh man, Jesus, you paid it all. I'm in. I'm in. And so all you have to do, Scripture simply says, call out to him. Call out to Jesus to save you. Ask him to come into your life and to make you new. Ask him to give you a spirit and allow you to walk in his path. Because really, in the end, Jesus paid it all. Jesus is my substitute. Because he's God, he became man, and he took my place on the cross. Let me pray for you this morning. God, this morning we are grateful for that moment that you looked upon us with compassion and with grace. We were abusing you. We hated you. We transgressed against you. And yet you took all of our sin. You took all of our imperfection. You took all of our hate. And you pulled it upon yourself. And you died a criminal's death in the most brutal fashion so that we could have life. God, this morning my prayer is that if anybody's trusting in anything else, in their good acts, in their good behavior, in anything, I pray that today they would step across the line and say, Jesus, you did it all. There's nothing more to be done. We thank you so much for that moment, that day that you said it's finished, that you took my place. Now our job is to work it out. Now our job is to follow you, to love you, to love others, to share what you've done because we no longer have to pursue our own righteousness. You've already accomplished everything on the cross. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. God, my prayer is that you would draw people to yourself. And this morning, if there's someone that's still deciding, I pray your spirit would actually awaken them and draw them in, and they would step into life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for that day that you took our place on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As, uh, as you were talking, um, I was reminded of a Thursday night uh, back in 2017 um, when, when God changed my life. Hmm. And uh, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't, you don't know my story um, but I grew up in a pretty legalistic environment where it was all about following rules. It was about modifying my behavior to fit a certain mold and to fit a religious system. Um, and it was on a Thursday night. I was sitting alone in my house. My wife was in Michigan. Um, and I was reading through Luke chapter 4 where Jesus said, or, or where he he's opens the scrolls and he says that Jesus came to rescue the oppressed and to give sight to the blind and to mm-hmm. rescue the captive. Um, And all, which eventually led me to Matthew chapter 11, where I I read and it said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And I remember sitting on my couch that night, um, just, and I just opened up my hands and I said, God, I'm tired. And so when you said that in your message, where you said, when we try to pay more, than what's already been paid on our behalf, we actually spit in the face of God as if the sacrifice that he paid wasn't enough. And my whole life I had tried to pay more. I I said it like this, uh, or I've come to say it like this, that it's, it was a longing. What brought me to Jesus was a longing to be good enough 
mm. and then a realization that I couldn't. And yeah. in that moment, I recognized and realized that, whoa, there's absolutely nothing that I could ever do to actually achieve what I'm hoping to. Yeah. That Jesus had already paid it and he became my substitute. And a substitute simply is someone who takes the place of another. I was trying to be my own sub yeah. substitute. And over and over again, I was frustrated because I was empty and realizing that I could never, I could never live up to well, it. Well, I think you came to it honestly because the, the, yeah. the reason religion is established and the reason religious kind of um, uh, society organizations are set up is in order to say, okay, hey, Reuben, I've got a gift for you. Come, come get the gift. Okay, uh, <laughs> Reuben, come get the gift. I've got the gift for you. And it's, it's like it's always ever moving. Don't push me off the stage. <laughs> it's, it's always ever moving. It's a target that you can never make. And so yeah, religion is set up in order for you, if you can just do enough, and if you can chase this gift, you'll get it. And Jesus, what Jesus said is, no, back here, I already did it. All you got to do is take it. It's free. You take the gift and it's yours. Instead of the moving target. And so religion does that, and yet Jesus says, it's paid, it's finished. And so we grew up in an organization that always was moving the target. And so even for here, for, for you, if you're here with Bethel today, it's like the, the, the price has been paid in full. And if you've been pursuing this perfection target, if you've been pursuing this thing through either actions of your own or through believing or saying the right thing or praying the right prayer, if you've been doing that, that target just keeps moving because you'll wake up tomorrow saying, Ugh, I'm still broken. And yet Jesus, if we acknowledge that Jesus is the substitute, the, is, the gift is done, now I get to work it out. Now I get to figure out, um, Paul says actually in chapter three, he says, now you need to work it out. And that's like taking a diamond and looking at it from all the different aspects and actually working out our salvation. That's different than me trying to actually create my own salvation. Yeah, and it's not working for it. It's working it out. And I would say, you know, that illustration is good because you're looking at it all at all angles. And really, it's not to like, not to earn it or to, to grab at it, but it's to understand it. Right. And right. to say, whoa, like every day I'm in awe of Jesus and what he's done for me because there's things. And as the spirit reveals himself to me that I'm like, whoa, that's mine. Right. Like that. Thank you. Right. And I'm, and I mean, the fact that I'm standing here today as a pastor, like, it blows my mind because I think one of the reasons that I went to Bible college, I would say, and one of the reasons that I pursued ministry in the first place, I think, was in an attempt to, like, really earn favor with God and be like, man, if I could just do this, if I could give my life for him, yeah. then surely he would, like, he would accept me. Surely, like, I would be good enough for him. Yeah. And when it wasn't, when it was still empty, that's when I found myself on a couch that Thursday night and saying, like, God, I'm tired of trying to, like, earn this. And God's like, what, earn, like, you, I've given it to you. Right. And we understand the power of the good news. We understand the power of the gospel. And it's not like we, we, we're not asking you to come forward and pray a prayer. We're not asking you to come forward and make a decision. We're actually on a Thursday night in your home. If this hits you and you're like, oh, I need to put my trust in Jesus. Or, yeah. or maybe right now in the service, you're just like, I just need to humble myself. I don't have all the answers and I'm just gonna get low and I'm gonna say, okay, Jesus, I, I accept it. I don't know what, exactly what it is, but I accept it. This is, this is why we say that we exist to find and follow Jesus. So we wanna lead one another to find and follow Jesus because when you find him, oh man, then you spend the rest of your life just pursuing him and figuring it out. It's amazing. Yeah. And I will say that it's been 
the most incredible journey from that from that moment forth because it's like yeah. you know you look at the diamond from all from all angles and you're like whoa that's mine whoa that's mine and like right. you claim these different things that that Jesus says are now yours not because you've earned them but because Jesus simply right. gave them to you because he took your place and I'm I mean I just every day like I'm you're forced to just fall to your knees and say thank you yeah. Because so if you're in a apart from me, you if you're help. in a place where you have questions and if you have, you're in a place where you're on this journey and you'd like to figure more out, please please connect with us. We that's that's why we're here. We're here to yeah. lead each other to find and follow Jesus. Pastor Ruben and I every week have conversations where we're just like, okay, um, go to Jesus. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't have all the answers, and it's like sometimes yeah. it's a push and sometimes it's a gentle nudge. But we want to be on your side. We're with you. We're for you, yeah. and, uh, and and we want to see you take that next step in your spiritual journey. Here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great week. Have a week. great week.